Amen, amen, amen. Uh, open your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to get there uh, here in just a little while, uh, but it will be just a little bit by way of introduction this morning. We're going to kind of follow the same suit as we have over the past couple of weeks as we continue to present this 2023 uh, vision that we have for the churches, guys, and what we're looking to do. And we're taking it uh, by, by looking at different aspects of the life of Jesus Christ, how he conducted himself, what he did, and why he did them. And that's one of the keys that we want to see in our life today is not only uh, what he does, but his motives, his intentions, uh, his purity of heart. And so as we move on, guys, into this third Sunday, this third message, if you will, Jesus' heart is revealed in his actions. It's supported by his words. And again, I've used the same phrase. This will be the third work, uh, third week. What he is, he does. And I think we need to take that on board. If, if, if anything, guys, uh, in our life, we need to take on board the idea of who we are is what we do. And we reveal that to people in our life today. If the actions of Jesus are reflective of who he most uh, uh, deeply is, guys, we cannot avoid the fact and the simple conclusion that, that he is for the very brokenness, the sinful fallenness, uh, that he came into this world to undo that and that he is attracted to that part uh, of this world, if you will. He becomes the most, it becomes the most attractiveness to him. Now, guys, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Jesus Christ is not attracted to sin. Don't think that today, not by any means. Uh, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, uh, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ was tempted in every single aspect that every mankind will ever deal with in his world today, and not one time did he ever commit sin. Hebrews in chapter 9 tells us in verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. But Jesus Christ is not attracted to sin, that we know to be a fact. But rather he is attracted or drawn, if you will, to the sinner. To the sinner. Now before we move on into this point, because a lot of us have probably bought into the idea that says, well, Jesus Christ uh, hates the sin but loves the sinner. He does love the sinner. He loves the world. But Jesus Christ hates the sinner in his sin as well. I want you to understand that. To create an image of God who just loves the sinner no matter how he's living or doing, guys, is creating a false God. So we need to make sure we don't lean so far to the left side today that we got this idea that he is a soft, slurpy God that will overlook sin. He has to judge sin. He judged it on the cross of Calvary. But you're going to give an answer for your sins, guys, amen, because you know full well today. You know that you reap what you sow. Okay, we understand that. Now, again, he paid the price for sin and death, but our works in this world will be judged according to the righteousness of God that he has in our life. But let me go on to say this, guys, that he is drawn to the sinner. He's drawn to the helpless. He is drawn to the one uh, who most greatly needs him and those who are willing to bring others to Jesus Christ. Jesus sees the fallenness of this world all about him. His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move toward the sinner in his or her suffering, not away from it. I want you to notice a comparison here today as we work our way in our introduction this morning. And we'll look in Luke chapter 10. You'll read these from the screen. You just hold your place in Matthew 9. We'll get there here in just a little while. Luke chapter 10 verse 30 says, And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, 
and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So first off, I want us to take a look. This certain man, this is a Jew who left Jerusalem and went to Jericho. Can I say this to you first and foremost this morning? He had no business being in Jericho. He had no business going down to Jericho whatsoever. He said, well, why did he go? I don't know why he goes. I know he didn't belong there. Jericho is a cursed city. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 26 and 27 says, And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man uh, before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth the city of Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So what does this mean? What it means is that this certain man had stepped outside of the will of God, going to a cursed city where he had no business being. Now, there was no reason for him to leisurely go down to Jericho. I mean, the result of his travels, the result of him being in the wrong place at the wrong time, whatever it may have been, guys, he was robbed, he was stripped, he was beaten, and he was left, left half dead. Now, these are the results of ill decisions. These are the results of wrong choices and wrong moves. Amen? But look at the rest of the story in Luke chapter 10. The Bible says, and by chance, all right, now by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was uh, at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now, we stop and we think here. We're, we're on the forefront. We're on the introduction this morning to understand that Jesus Christ is drawn to the helpless, the hurting, the heartbroken. That Jesus Christ is drawn to the sinner, those who, who most need his help. His natural disposition is to be drawn to those people who cannot help themselves and who need great help. Yet we find an individual here. We find a, a native man, a, a, a national Jew, if you will, in a wrong city, Fallen on wrong times. And one of his own people, if you will. Here we have a, the religious, the self-righteous. The one who's a priest, the representative of their religion. I mean, if anyone in the world should help this man, this dying man, one would think that it would be this priest. Yet what happens? He sees him down the street. Picture this with me, if you will. Here comes the priest. He's happily walking down the streets of Jericho. What he's doing there, we don't know either. The Bible says by chance he's there. And he looks and he sees this man, his fellow, uh, his fellow Jew, that is left half dead, bleeding out on the street. And he sees him away down there, and he crosses the street so to avoid the appearance of not helping him and being close to him. This is what the religious has done. I mean, yeah, you know, we, we, we see him cross the street. Then comes the Levite, the Levite. Those in charge of the temple worship, maybe you would think that he would have a level of humility to come and to help this fellow Jew, this man harmed by those in the world who think what yours is mine. But no, both the priest and the Levite, whereas the robbers who robbed this man said what yours is mine, that priest and that Levite said what is mine is mine, and I'm just going to keep it. The Levite even came and looked on the poor man. The Levite came and looked at how he was stripped and naked and beaten and left half dead and passed by, helping him at all. There's no pity. There's no empathy. There's no desire to help. There's no drawing to a man that is broken, that is harmed, that is hurting to help him this day. 
We read this verse last week, but the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 17, it says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? May I say this to you this morning, beloved, this is a product of religion without righteousness. All dressed up in pomp and rituals, but no love of Christ. And we see it every single day. We see it within the so-called high church as they decorate themselves in all the beautiful little gowns and dresses that they wear and get behind a pulpit and give a lame message that has zero doctrine and zero help from anyone. They're so far from biblical Christianity, guys, it is a crying shame to even be known to be around them, amen, walking around in their dog collars calling themselves reverend. They're no more reverend than my dog is, amen. You shouldn't call yourself reverend. The Bible says reverent and holy is his name, not your name, amen. You're not reverent. It's a shame today. So what's next? Luke chapter 10, verse 33 and 35. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, what's the next few words? He had compassion on him. And he, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the, mor- on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, beloved, who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans are a mixed race of people whom the Jews were to have absolutely no dealings with at all. To the Jews, they were considered unclean. They were considered banished. They were not to have any dealings whatsoever. We know this according to John chapter 4, verse 9, and many other verses. But the Bible says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, speaking unto Jesus, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So let me ask you a question on the backside of this story of the Good Samaritan. And I, I realize that we've more than likely heard the, the Good Samaritan story a thousand times. I've preached on it countless times. I love the story of the Good Samaritan. But who most exemplified the life of Jesus Christ in that story? Who most exemplified what Christianity should be in, or what Christianity is? Not the label, but is. Who most exemplified a caring and compassionate individual. The priest, not a chance. The Levite, not even close. But the one that was supposed to have no dealings with him. The ones that were supposed to have no communication with those people, if you will. You see, the ones who had the truth and held it in unrighteousness that Romans 1 talks about, that's that priest and Levite. That's the religious part of our world today. Straining a nap, swallow a camel. More interested in what color tie you wear and which side you part your hair than they are about the beauty of your soul and the eternal position of it. Beloved, that Bible says the Samaritan, listen carefully here, guys, because I'm, I'm hunkering down on the end of the, the, the introduction. I want you to pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. The Bible said the Samaritan went to him. Went to him. He helped him. He healed him. And then he said this. He said, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. You know what that tells me, beloved? He was a man of integrity. He was a man of dependability. 
He was a man that was trustworthy. How many of us in here today could go down to the co-op or down to the one-stop shop and grab a bag of crisp and a soda and say, look, I only got enough money for half. When I come back next time, I'll repay you. Do you think they're going to let you walk out the shop? No, they're not. But he left this man here who was half dead, bound up his wounds, put him on his own beast, took him back and helped him in that inn. And when he, was, when he had to leave, he told the innkeeper, listen, whatever he spends more, I'll take care of it when I come back. That man was trustworthy. I guarantee he had a reputation of helping people. This is, a, this, this is deeper. This is deeper than saying that Jesus is loving, that Jesus is kind, that he's merciful, and that he's gracious. The qualities that we find in the Samaritan are the qualities that we find in the life of Jesus Christ and in the life of living a legacy, which are living a life that's worth leaving to others in the world today. That's what we're talking about this morning. As great as those qualities are, and being loving, kind, merciful, and gracious, as great as those qualities are, they are superficial in comparison to who and what Jesus is and how he lived. I speak about that Samaritan once more. The Bible said he went. There's actions involved. He moved, guys. Jesus Christ's earthly ministry was, was one of giving back to undeserving sinners, their humanity, and their dignity. Beloved, we tend to think of the miracles of the Gospels as interruptions to the natural order of things. But the German theologian Maltman points out that miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. We're so used to the falling world that sickness and disease and pain and death seem to be natural, we understand. But in fact, they are the interruptions to the natural order of things. Moltman said this, when Jesus expels demons and heals the sick, he is driving out of creation the powers of destruction and is healing and restoring created beings who are hurt and sick. The lordship of God to which... Um, the Lordship of God to which the healings witness restore creation to health. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in the natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Beloved, we live in a world today that is wounded. We live in a world today that is broken. We live in a world today that is hurting. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, what do we want to do about that? I can promise you this. If we sit on our ever-widening horizon, ain't nothing going to get done. That's good old southern vernacular from the United States. But if we'll get up and we'll move, and we'll do as that Samaritan did, go and went, as we find the same that Jesus did. Jesus moved. He moved. Guys, we live in a world where people have great intentions, they have great plans, they have great talk. We also live in a world today that people do very little with it. Well, I was going to talk to my neighbor, and then he died. Well, I was going to ring my family member up, and then they passed away. Well, I was going to speak to my coworker, but then they were transferred. Little do, but a lot of talk. Jesus Christ moved, was moved. The Samaritan went. So in our text today in Matthew in chapter 9, 
If you look there in verses 1 and 2, notice this with me, if you will. I want you to see a few things today, and uh, we'll try not to be too awful long this morning. We've got a lot, of, a lot of verses to look at. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1 says, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Beloved, the Lord's compassion comes in waves over and over again within his ministry. Jesus is driven to heal the sick and to help the hurting. Matthew in chapter 14 tells us in verse 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed the sick. Guys, he was moved with compassion, an action. He was doing something. He went somewhere, do you understand? We see yet another great example of his willingness and desire to, to help people in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32. The Bible says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. We also see in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Because they were a sheep, having not a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. One of the greatest illustrations I see of Jesus Christ, and guys, i got to be honest with this next story. We, we preached on it last year, I understand. I'm, I'm going to bring it to you in just a second. I can't quite put my finger on it. Now, I know why, I can see how, and I know what happened. But I want to go back and I want to just in somehow, some way, get into the mind of Jesus Christ and understand the purpose behind it. The purpose. The widow of Nain. Beautiful story. And, you, and, and guys, those of you who have read the story and read the chapter, you saw all that led up to that, that time. And then all of a sudden he just passes by this funeral procession. But the Bible said we see that he was moved in a manner. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 15, we find the event. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, the Bible says, watch this, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the bier, that's the coffin, if you will. And they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up, began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Who do you have compassion on in that event? Mom. Wasn't a dead man. I mean, who do you have compassion on? This widow who had no one left in this world to comfort her. Her husband had passed away. We read this story and, as, and I, we just interpret it as if she just had no one else. That she was going to go back to an empty home, an empty four walls, and no one else to cook for, no, to tend, no one to tend to, not to do, do anything at all. The Bible says that he had compassion on. 
the boy was dead, but the mother was heartbroken. And Jesus moved with compassion to heal the sick, we find. But he also is moved with compassion to help the heartbroken, the hurting. You notice that in verse 13 of the text is on the screen. When the Lord saw her. Pay attention there. When he was moved by what he sees. Jesus' heart, guys, was filled with purity and perfection. And that very heart was affected by what he saw, by his own sight. He saw her brokenness. He saw her pain. Do you, do you see the pattern yet, guys? Do you see the pattern, beloved? Do you see his legacy? Do you see his life that was worth leaving to the entire world? It was about others. The Lord's heart was moved in Matthew 9, our text today, by what he saw. And yet it, it, it was the hurting, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't hurting, it wasn't heartbroken now, but, but it was the faith of the friends of the helpless that moved Jesus to make a difference. Beloved, sight has a strong effect on those, listen to me carefully, those who are looking. If you're looking for something, you can find it. If you're looking for something negative in a church, you're going to find it. If you're looking for something negative in the world, you're going to find it. If you're looking for something positive in the church, you're going to find it. If you're looking for something positive in the world, I'm, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. But if you're looking for someone who is helpless, you'll find it. Searching for an opportunity. Looking to lead and have compassion on those that are around you, guys. It's an action. It's something you've got to be willing to do. When the Lord saw the multitude hungry in Matthew 15, which we read earlier, he was moved with compassion. It's because he saw them. In all these accounts, guys, we, we see Jesus' deeper part of his heart, his being. But here's what we see. We see it by way of follow-through. You know, we hear, about, we hear a lot about follow-through. I remember years ago, 20-plus years ago, in, in, in um, church growth 101 type of courses and, and this and that, and they, they would come in and they would want to teach you about, you know, when you have visitors there, make sure you shake their hands. That should be common sense. You should always show yourself. Free. You shouldn't have to be taught to do those things. I think. That's my opinion. That's always been my opinion. That's why I never brought some church growth 101 guru into our churches to teach us. You should be a Christian, amen, and show yourself friendly. But they talk about, you know, make sure they get a connection card. And I do believe in those kind of things. Make sure you get a contact information so that you can reach out. And what is that called? It's called follow through. You see, Jesus Christ saw these people hurting. He saw the, the helpless and his friends. He saw the heartbroken. And the one thing that made the difference, guys, was that he had follow-through in his life. And that's what made a difference in the world. It's one thing to talk about something. Guys, it's one thing to talk about being healthy. It's one thing to talk about uh, promoting well-being, to talk about caring for people, to talk about making a difference. I'm going to tell you right now, point blank, it's a whole different thing to do something about it. Talk is cheap, man. It's something different to go against the societal norm today if you want to make a difference, as Jesus Christ did with that woman at the well, as Jesus did with the sinners at the table, as Jesus did with the woman with the issue of blood, as Jesus did, we heard last week, about the leper that walked up to him. All of that, everything that he did was completely the antithesis of the societal norm. But he had follow-through. 
People talk to me about health. They want to get healthier. They want to make a difference in their life. But yet they want to go sip on some alcohol on the weekend. I got news for you. You ain't going to increase. You're not going to get healthier in your life drinking alcohol. You understand that? Just stop it if you want to get healthier. But Jesus was willing to go against the societal norm. Follow through is more than presentation. It's more than a podcast. It's more than prissy little words that, that look good on social media. Follow through is being moved. Moved with compassion to make a difference in the life that you live in now. Guys, listen, God didn't wake up in the morning and say, what in the world was I doing when I stuck Bailey there at that time? He knew where you were going to be at the right time and the right place. So look back at our text real quick this morning. We'll hit our three points today. And I hope that the introduction is set. I'm really not interested in it sitting comfortable with you. I hope it convicted the daylights out of you. But I hope it sits solid with you today to help. So look at our text with me real quick, guys. The only way that it's going to happen, the only way that you're going to make a difference, the only way that you're going to be moved with compassion, point number one, you're going to have to be switched on. You're going to have to be switched on. Verse 2 says, Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed. First off, guys, we find that Jesus Christ recognized that there was a man in dire need, a man that was helpless, hurting, suffering from, the, from palsy. Now, the word palsy means a condition of incapacity or helplessness. It's a word associated with paralysis, which is defined as the loss, of a, a loss or the inability uh, to voluntarily move. However, oftentimes palsy is associated with involuntary tremors or contractions, if you will, which means this. Not only was this man helpless, not only did he have an incapacity to voluntary move, he was more than likely in a perpetual state of hurting. Contractions and tremors of his limbs that he could not control. He was not only helpless, but he was hurting continually. You know, we always hear that people say that the first stage of fixing a problem, whether it's recovery, correction, whatever it is, is recognition, right? To recognize the problem. Well, the same applies in helping people. Beloved, if you want to make a difference in this life, you're going to have to be switched on to recognize people that are hurting. Listen to the words. See where they are. Know what's going on. I mean, get a clue of what is happening around us. Pastor Ellis used to hammer the verse about us being vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary that ever walketh about as a royal lion. First Peter 2 9. He used to hammer that verse, seeking whom he may devour, it says. But he would hammer being vigilant, which just means simply being aware of your surroundings, being switched on. Life is not always going to be rainbows and unicorns, guys. Oftentimes, people's life is, is full of storms, it's train wrecks, and it's turmoil. And we're here on this earth to help the hurting through the pattern that was set by our Savior. First off, he was switched on. Be aware of who's, who's around you. Be aware of what's going on. You say, well, I just sometimes I can't recognize it. Then ask. Go up to someone and say, how are you doing? And not just mean it as a general term of, hey, man, I, you know, I mean, ask them, how are you doing today? Things okay? Everything all right? Switch on, guys. 
Secondly, we find that Jesus Christ was moved to make a difference. And again, we've already kind of covered it by his sight. Notice in the second part of the verse in, in Matthew chapter 9, it, said, it says here, when Jesus seen their faith. Now, uh, Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah says this in Lamentations 3.51. He says, mine eye affecteth mine heart. Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he, he wept over the sins and the future judgment of his people. He's the author of the book of Jeremiah as well as the book of Lamentation. And his heart was greatly saddened. It was broken when he saw his people in the midst of wickedness, turning their backs on God, forsaking all of it which was right, and therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, he wept and he was affected. He was moved by his sight. What I think is interesting in that very part is that Jesus Christ, some people, when they asked who Jesus was, they said that he was Jeremiah. They said he was Jeremy. Somebody confused him, thought he was the resurrected Jeremiah, which gives a precedence to how Jeremiah lived his life and how he was affected. It was sight. It was the sight of these men's faith who brought this hurting, helpless man to find relief. That's what affected Jesus Christ. Now, guys, he couldn't have seen what was going on if he wasn't switched on. Does that make sense to you this morning? So what did Jesus do? What did he do to make a difference in these, well, in this man's life? He did what he could do. See, a lot of you, many of you out there today, you may be thinking that I'm asking you to do a miracle, that I'm asking you to do something that you can't do. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ has never asked you to do one thing that you're not capable of doing. He's never asked you to jump off and fly off a building. He's never asked you to outrun a speeding bullet. He's never asked you to do anything that you were not equipped to do it. So what did Jesus do? He did what he could do. Jesus did exactly what was within his skill set. What was in his skill set? Look here in verse 2. Jesus, seeing their faith, and said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Guess what else he did just then? It's not a fourth point. This is a a part of of the whole skill set idea. He did what was socially unacceptable. It was socially unacceptable for Jesus Christ to forgive sins. We know that by the very next verse. Verse 3 says, Behold, certain the scribes said within themselves, they didn't say it out loud, this man blasphemeth. Yeah, he did what he could do, guys. Even though it wasn't accepted by the society, he did what was, was in his capabilities to help this man. And as a result, of the faith of others, despite what those around him thought. So let's think about this for just a second. Despite what was popular, Jesus Christ did the right thing. I mean, who cares, guys, what society says is right? Who cares what society says is fun? Who cares what society says is popular? Who cares what people say is a family right, R-I-T-E? You need to ask yourself this morning, is it best? Is it sound? Is it glorifying? Or is it harmful? Well, if the answer is not yes to any of the first three, and if the answer is is not no to the last one, guys, you need to stop condoning it, stop contributing to it, and stop doing it. But get within your own skill set today. Have a backbone, take a stand, set the standard, and forget aligning with what the populace is doing today. And align with what Jesus did. How do you do it, guys? I don't know what's in your skill set. That's not my job to know. I don't know. But you know. 
You know what you can do. Whatever's in your skill set today, do it. Whatever's in your sight, sort it. Are you switched on today? If you're switched on, then move. Jesus made a difference because he was switched on with his sight and he used his skill set to make a difference. And guys, we, hey guys, not just can or should, we are to do the same. That's a legacy. That's living a life worth leaving to others. Guys, we don't have the ability to heal anyone. We don't have the ability to raise the dead or cause the blind to see or, or uh, get the, the, the mute to speak or the deaf to hear or the paralytic to walk. That's not our skill set today. It is not for this dispensation nor the time that we are in. But we have access to the one who can. We have access to the one who can make an eternal difference in the lives of those that are around us. And we must get them, just like these friends who brought this young man on a bed. And Jesus saw their faith. Those who brought the helpless are hurting the heartbroken to the one who can heal them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, that is within each one of our skill set today. Every single one of us has the ability this morning to search out those opportunities, to switch on with those that are around us, to take our sight, allow it to affect our heart, and tap into that skill set of bringing a lost soul, a hurting friend or family member, a heartbroken neighbor or a helpless lad to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and then beyond so that they may too live a life glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ, a legacy, living a life worth leaving. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the time and opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for the blessedness of this day. We thank you, dear God, for the message. Lord, I thank you for what we've seen here in Matthew chapter 9. And Lord, I thank you for the illustration that you have given us, the, the beautiful life that you have lived, Lord God, before each and every one of us within the pages of the Holy Scripture, Lord. And I ask you to help us today apply that into our life, that we too, my Lord, may live a life, dear God, that's just worth leaving to others, that we can have a, an effect on those that are around us, Father, that we will be switched on in the days to come we may live this life here on this earth in the days that you've allowed us to have to the glorification of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so that many may come into that saving knowledge, Lord, that souls may be saved and glory, gloriously born again. We ask all these things in the precious name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.